Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a, it is a great day to be here uh, and uh, to welcome Caleb as an as a, a elder, new elder here. And really, I could just go sit down because Wes's prayer, essentially, he preached my sermon as he, as he uh, prayed his prayer uh, a while ago. Uh, but a, a great day and uh, glad to be a part of this. And um, so uh, welcome, everyone. And, and uh, this is uh, to be a, a charge to Caleb this morning from, from, from God's Word. And, and um, <clears throat> I'm very thankful that uh, God has led our church to uh, add another elder. And uh, I look forward to serving and working with, uh, with Caleb. And we'll be praying for he and Rebecca in the days ahead. But uh, I want to remind you, as a church family, that uh, adding elders goes back at least in part to our church health survey that was conducted, I think, in April of last year, of 2021, and it took us a couple of months to get the results. But one of the outcomes that you, as a church family, uh, indicated on the church survey was, we need more elders. And so, uh, as Jim and Wes and I began to, to pray and, and uh, think about uh, the possibility of elders, well, uh, Caleb's name uh, certainly surfaced. And, and it's real gratifying to, that the church family, I think, voted overwhelmingly like you did to, uh, to support uh, he and, and Rebecca. So, again, today's message is supposed to be a charge to Caleb. But as I was preparing it, it's really much more than that because it's from God's Word. God's Word is speaking to all of us, of course. And so it's a reminder to Jim and Wes and I, and I think it's a reminder to the church family of what elders are to be and to do, what elders are to be uh, and to do. And, and because Wes has been away this past week uh, in North Carolina, and uh, we're glad to have him back, glad he's safe, and hope he had a good week uh, there on, the, on a required seminar for his Ph.D. program, uh, I agreed to, to do this this morning. And so... Y'all, I thank you for the prayers that I've had from people uh, about uh, this time this morning, and you can continue to pray for me for, uh, I would appreciate that. But would you now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, Wes mentioned that. I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 17, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Uh, this uh, contains a message from the Apostle Paul to elders. And that's why we've chosen to camp out here uh, on this particular passage this morning. So when you have found your place uh, in God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of it? <clears throat> Again, I'm going to be reading from verse 17 all the way to, to 38. <clears throat> Let's listen to the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> this is, of course, Luke writing. And he says, now from Miletus, he, and that he there would be Paul, the apostle Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and sharing, I'm sorry, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem and constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 28. uh, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not, see, did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you. You may be seated. Join me in a brief prayer. Lord God, we commend this time now to you, and we pray uh, just for the anointing of your word, uh, uh, me as I speak, of our hearers as they hear. And Father, would you bless this? Would this be a time of instruction uh, for us and of uh, us gaining greater appreciation, O God, of who you are and what you are about Uh, in our lives and through our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like for our key verses today, uh, I read this whole passage, but I'd like for our key verses today to be verses 28 uh, through 32. And so I'll I'll camp camp out on those uh, in a few minutes. But I thought it would be good to first establish some context. After all, we've been in Exodus for a good while now, and we're, we're jumping from uh, 15 or 1600 years B.C. Uh, all the way to the first century A.D. So, so probably some context uh, is, is important. Uh, as you can see from as we begin in verse 17, uh, Paul wants to meet with these elders of the church at Ephesus at this town of uh, Miletus. Uh, Miletus is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. I'll show you this on a map in just a minute. And uh, Paul was concluding his third missionary journey. And as we read in verse 31, he had spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And and of all the cities that Paul visited and and of all the cities in which he planted churches, we we find that he stayed the longest in the city of Ephesus. I I, I thought that was very interesting. And so this was quite an investment of of time and effort uh, on Paul's part. And of course, God uh, had blessed this. If we backed up to chapter 19 in verse 21 of Acts, we would find that uh, it tells us that Paul felt led by the Spirit. This would be towards the end of his time at Ephesus. He felt led by the Spirit to go back and visit some of the churches he had previously planted 
uh, on a previous missionary journey in, in Macedonia and in what is called Achaia, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is part of modern-day Greece for us. So uh, we'll, we'll see that. And so uh, after that, he planned then to go to Jerusalem. This was his plan. And, uh, and so we read that after a riot occurred in Ephesus, he left the city and he headed uh, for Macedonia. And so uh, I hope you can see this okay. And let me see if I can figure out where the pointer is. I'll use this side. So most of Paul's missionary journeys began in, this, in the church of Antioch. And he went overland. As you see, uh, these were some of the churches he founded on his first missionary journey. And then he arrived at Ephesus, as we said, where he stayed three years. And, and then he wanted to leave and go back and visit the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the, the Bereans, and perhaps some other churches up in Macedonia. And then he dropped down and visited the believers in Athens. And he stayed, we find, three months, it says, in Corinth. So it, it, it felt like he probably spent the winter in Corinth. And then after that was planning to uh, sail to Jerusalem. But what we read also uh, in the early part of this chapter is that he discovered a plot against his life, apparently relating to this ship that he was planning to use to sail to Jerusalem. So he, you see, backtracked back up through Macedonia, came to Troas, and down to uh, Miletus, which is where we are in, as we come to, uh, to verse 17. And uh, if we looked in verse 4 of chapter 20, we can see that Paul had seven men traveling with him, and these men were representatives of these various churches where he had planted and where he had, re had visited uh, recently. And we know that Paul was collecting money from these churches. And his intention was to give, some, uh, give a donation to the poor Christians. The, the, there was some impoverishment going on in Jerusalem. And that was one of his goals, to, to have the church supporting other churches uh, and, and to, to give those dollars there in Jerusalem. So these men were going to accompany him and be the representatives uh, of these churches. And so this is kind of the context. I'll just use this. This will work, maybe. <clears throat> so, um, again, here we find Paul and these companions of him, of his, a uh, number of people. This would have certainly included Luke, who wrote uh, the book of Acts. They're waiting in this city of Miletus, again, that is just south of, of Ephesus. And, and it's evident, as we read and study, that Paul is trying to keep a schedule. He's, he's trying to get to Jerusalem, or he was trying to get to Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. But because of this plot against him related to the ship in Corinth, he, and, his, and the fact that he decided to backtrack, he missed the Passover. So the Passover was, would have occurred about time, our time of Easter, and he was trying to get there then. And so now he's trying to get to Jerusalem for the time of Pentecost. And so he's kind of in a hurry. And it's easy to ask the question, well, why didn't he just go to Ephesus and visit, visit in Ephesus? Why, why did he bypass that? Uh, well, probably two things. Uh, number one, because he was in a hurry, he knew that if he went to Ephesus, you know, the fact that he had spent three years and he knew a lot of people there, it would have been hard to have a short visit. 
But I think maybe secondly, and perhaps more important in this case, he, he wanted to have a time with these elders by himself to encourage them and to warn them and just to have, to have a particular time with them uh, in private uh, because as we've read, this is the last time he was going to see them. And so again, this is the background we have for what is called here Paul's great farewell address to the Ephesian elders. And, and I think you'll agree with me if, uh, as we read, it's a really beautiful passage. It uh, provides an intimate glimpse uh, of Paul's heart as an apostle. He's concerned for the church. But I hope you noticed, and, and this is what we want to talk about, he is concerned for the church's leaders also, very much so. Uh, it provides a unique picture of him as a pastor. Uh, we see his pastor's role coming out. And so even though he's in a hurry, he takes the time, one last time, uh, again, to be able to, to invest in these church elders from Ephesus. And so, again, I want to camp out primarily on verses 28 through 32, but let me make a few other comments about some preceding verses. Uh, in verse 19, uh, Paul tells them that he served the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials. And I think this shows us Paul's attitude both toward God and, and towards other, other believers in the church. He was, he was humble before them, both before God and before the people. It also shows us his prayerful and patient concern when dealing with people. After all, it says he did so with tears. He did so with tears. And then it shows us his courage and faithfulness in conflict. Paul had to deal with trials, it said, particularly of the Jews that would, that would come against him very often. And so I think Paul is conveying here, maybe, not in a, maybe in an indirect way, that elders are to serve in this same way, with humility and with tears and with a willingness to endure trials. And so Paul then looked ahead uh, as we read to the conflict that he felt the Holy Spirit was telling him was going was to be. And we know in, in reverse that that is what happened. Uh, he did have conflict and, and uh, ended up being taken to Rome and so forth. But he told these Ephesian elders he'd never see them again. And so th that brought much sorrow, as, as you remember from the end of the passage. And so what, what is Paul telling these Ephesian elders? Well, is he not telling them that he has completed his ministry among them? He, he's telling these guys that he's done all, of, all that he can for establishing and organizing and, and all the, the church at Ephesus, and now it's up to them. He's telling them it's up to them. The responsibility to persevere in Christian ministry in the church at Ephesus now lay with these elders, and I think it's no different today. Uh, the responsibilities we're going to talk about for leading, nurturing, uh, protecting the church uh, lies primarily with the church's leaders. And I wanted to, to uh, ask you to, to look again with me at uh, this verse. Uh, this is verse 24. Uh, I want to read it again. It said, Paul said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace uh, of God. I think this should be the goal, certainly, of every elder, should it not? I wanted to make sure we saw that and, and, and visited with that. And frankly, it probably should be the goal of every Christian, should it not? 
And Caleb, I trust you will take this to heart as well, as, as we all need to. As Christians and especially as elders, we need to do all that we can to finish our course. As, as, as it later says in the New Testament, to run the race that is set before us uh, with faith and courage and to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And so with those few opening, uh, opening remarks of the previous verses, Paul begins to go into the responsibilities uh, that there are for elders, that he wants these elders uh, to, to know. And before we dig into that, though, I want to ask a question of, of, of the uh, congregation this morning. How many of you have ever attended a vigil? Okay. Just a couple. Um, yeah, a vigil. Um, Maybe it was a candlelight vigil. Maybe you've heard of candlelight vigils or seen them on, on uh, TV. It was for perhaps someone who passed away unexpectedly or tragically. It could be a prayer vigil to petition God for a particular purpose. And I'm aware, and I, I know you are for the news as well, uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, but the young lady that was gunned down in her car, the LSU student, they had a vigil for her a couple of weeks ago uh, at, at LSU. And so, what is, a, what is a vigil? Well, the dictionary says it's a period of wakefulness or watchfulness maintained for any reason during the normal hours of sleeping. So normally it occurs at night. But it also says, there's another one that says it can really occur anytime. A period of watchful attention maintained at night uh, for, uh, or at other times. And why am I bringing this up? Well, I'm going to talk a lot for the rest of the time, particularly on these five verses, of the, about the vigilance that elders need to have. And what is vigilance? It's a devoted attentiveness or watchfulness. And so my main point this morning then is whoops, elders must show constant vigilance as they shepherd God's flock because of what it cost God's son to obtain it. So let's dig into these verses, 28 through 32. Uh, first of all, verse 28, Paul tells the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to, the, to all the flock. Now, depending on your translation of, of the Bible, it could say a couple of different things there. It might say, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Or it might say, keep watch uh, over yourselves and for all the flock. So I think you'll agree this is a call to vigilance, is it not? It's a call to vigilance on the part of the elders to always be awake and watchful. In other words, elders need to keep a constant vigil on behalf of the church. Notice also that this vigilance or watchfulness is to be applied in two ways. And the first way is the elder needs to pay attention to himself. Spiritual leaders must be diligent to guard their own spiritual and moral purity. Elders have a high standard to fulfill. Uh, Wes mentioned it earlier in his prayer. What is the first qualification in 1 Timothy and Titus for an elder? To be above reproach. That's a, that's a tall order. That's a high bar. Does that mean perfection? Of course not. If it, if it did, none of us would, would uh, qualify. But it nevertheless is a high standard. And so one aspect, I think, of um, this watchfulness might be the mutual accountability that elders can have among an elder group, one for another, where we can look out for each other's needs and weaknesses and faults. Um, 
And I think this is one of the reasons for having a plurality of elders in the church. And I'll talk more about this in a few minutes. But church leaders need to guard each other from such things as sin and error and misjudgment. And so that mutual accountability is important. But while that's true, I think Paul's primary uh, statement here, what he's primarily saying, relates to each individual elder's heart and their doctrine and their behavior, that careful attention must be paid to that by each of us. And I read uh, this week that, uh, and I really agree with this, what the church most needs from its elders is for them to lead lives of personal holiness. That's what the church most needs from its elders. I mentioned uh, Timothy, I think, earlier. Uh, look, how, look how similar this sounds to what Paul told Timothy later. This, this would have been written a few years later. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So notice a similar thing. Save, save yourself, save the hearers. Pay attention to yourself, and you will save your hearers. By persevering in sound doctrine from God's word the go and the godly living that follows, an elder will persevere in the faith, and an elder will confirm the salvation that God has granted by his grace. So the first thing that Paul encourages these elders to do is pay attention to yourself. The second thing he says is that an elder is to have vigilance as he looks after all the flock. All the flock. Notice three things there that are indicated by the word flock. Uh, first of all, the church is a flock of sheep in need of shepherds, right? That's the first thing. A church is a flock in need of shepherds. Number two, the elders are called to be the shepherds. And number three, the duty of the shepherds is to care for the sheep. That's very clear uh, in this verse. Uh, look at what it says in the rest of verse 28. After he says, pay careful attention to all the flock, he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Uh, notice that Paul defines the flock as the church of God in this verse. He says, pay careful attention to the flock and care for the church. So the flock is the church and the church is a flock. And notice also that Paul here refers to these elders as overseers. Overseers that are called by the Holy Spirit to care for the church. And I believe wholeheartedly, and I, and I think you do too, that the Holy Spirit has worked through our process to set Caleb apart uh, for the office of elder uh, in the last few weeks and specifically uh, today. Now, I'm going to take a little side road here for a few minutes, if, because if there, if there was time, and there's not, we could look in a number of passages in Scripture, and we could see that it was not just at the church at Ephesus that the churches were organized in, in this way. The Bible lays out two offices for the church, the offices of elder and deacon. And in the New Testament, churches always had more than one elder or one overseer, just like they had more than one deacon. A one pastor or one elder church is unknown in the New Testament. And this was true whether the church was a small church or a large church. Uh, there's a number of scriptures I could use to show this, but this is a real good one here from Acts 14, uh, verse 23. It tells us this, and when they, and that they there is Paul and Barnabas on a previous missionary journey, when they have appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so notice the word elders there is plural. 
wasn't, wasn't one elder. It was multiple elders uh, appointed into the church. And, and, and today, certainly, we are committing Caleb to the Lord in whom he has believed as an additional overseer here at Crosspoint. Now, while I'm off on this little bit of a tangent, where does the, where's the word pastor come from? Uh, well, the, actually, the word pastor and shepherd uh, are the same word in Scripture. And I asked Jim to read from uh, Ephesians 4 this morning because it, in that Scripture, when it talks about how Jesus gave the church apostles and prophets, it says in the ESV, shepherds and teachers. Now, Jim didn't read it that way. I think he was reading it from memory because in many translations it says pastors and teachers, but in the ESV it says shepherds. And, and I thought that was kind of significant, but those words are interchangeable. Uh, so the New Testament doesn't distinguish between the, the office of elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer. Those words all refer to the same office. But I think it's interesting how those different words can kind of help us understand the responsibilities for uh, the office. And so if we think back on what this verse that we're talking about says, where it says, keep watch over all the flock of God back in Acts, I, I wanted to talk about these responsibilities using what a guy named uh, Greg Allison said. Uh, Greg Allison's written a book on the doctrine of God. We went through this book with, with Caleb. And um, look at these four basic responsibilities of an elder. Number one, feed the sheep. Teach and communicate sound doctrine and the Christ-like practice that flow, flows from it. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about that, I think about the term pastor-shepherd. To me, when we talk about shepherding or pastoring the sheep, we're talking about for sure feeding is one thing. Number two is lead the sheep. Provide overall direction for the church and watch out for their souls. Well, again, for me, I think the word overseer maybe goes a lot along with that. So you can, you can see some of the differences. Then this is, again, Dr. Allison. He says number three is pray for the sheep. Certainly elders bear a special responsibility to pray for the church. And then he actually uses the word shepherd in his fourth responsibility, meaning to guide, nourish, and protect. And so there's some overlap in these responsibilities. But again, I, I hope you agree that the, 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 the words, elder, shepherd, overseer, pastor, uh, these words, I think, can help, help us better understand the responsibilities that an elder has. Uh, one final little, little tangent here. You might ask the question, well, does that mean all the elders are the same? Are, are, are we all the same? Well, while all elders share equally in the responsibility to oversee the church, the elders are not necessarily equal in their giftings or in their callings. And here at Crosspoint, we hold to the, some of, some of you will be aware of this, we hold to the concept of first among equals. First among equals. And we base that on 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Wes is our senior pastor. Wes is the staff pastor, the vocational pastor that's been called by the church. And according to the verses there that I don't have time to talk any more about than this, it says that he's the one who is laboring at preaching and teaching on a regular basis. And so we consider him the first among equals. But again, uh, we are all equal in sharing the, the responsibility to oversee the church. Thank you for indulging me on, that little, on those, that little side road there. Let's get back to the scripture in Acts chapter 20. And let's next consider uh, another aspect of the vigilance elders are to have in tending to and caring for the flock. And I think it's there in verse 28 in that little word, all. 
Did you catch that? Elders are to care for all the flock. And so he's, not, he's saying not just some of them, but all of them. And so elders are to pay attention to the sick as well as the healthy. They are to pay attention to the weak as well as the strong. They are to pay attention to the wayward as well as the faithful. And, and I really love this that, that uh, I found. It says, uh, this necessarily means that elders must know the people of the flock well. We need to know the people of the flock well. How can an elder care for those he does not know? And this implies that elder work is primarily then about relationships with church members. It's more about people than it is about programs. I thought that was a strong statement. It's more about people than it is about programs. You know, in the first century, Jesus passed on his teaching and preaching ministry to the apostles. And what did they do? Well, they made disciples, and they assembled those disciples into churches for which, for, for which they appointed elders to lead and feed and nurture and protect. And so, therefore, the elders serve, as Wes has already said in his prayer, under-shepherds. We serve as under-shepherd to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. Elders minister with the goal of growing church members into mature Christians. What does a real shepherd do? What does a real shepherd do out there fooling with the sheep? Well, he, is, he wants to toil day and night to produce healthy, full-grown sheep that reproduce themselves. You know, an elder is supposed to do the same thing. We are supposed to be striving to produce mature, help produce mature Christians that reproduce themselves. Uh, I like this verse that is in one, Colossians 1.28. We need to be able to say with Paul... Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, every church member, and teaching everyone, every church member, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone, every church member, mature in Christ. Notice how well that flows along with all the flock. Three times he says everyone in that verse and talks about the goal of being mature in Christ. I hope you see also how this relates to church membership. You know, church membership does two things. Uh, church membership, first, identifies people as Christians. It, secondly, it gathers a group of Christians into a specific congregation where they commit themselves to each other. Our church covenant says that very same thing. And church membership then helps the elders know which sheep they are responsible for. Uh, now, that doesn't mean we're indifferent to uh, a member, or, I'm sorry, a non-member that, that attends a worship service. We're thankful and happy to have uh, non-members attending the worship services all the time. But it does highlight the accountability that an elder has for members that he doesn't necessarily have for non-members. And again, Wes said this in his prayer. He quoted uh, Hebrews 13, 17, which I think speaks to this. Church leaders are to keep watch over the souls of the people as those who will have to give an account. So Paul has called for vigilance on the part of these elders, first for themselves, secondly for all of the flock, and then he calls for vigilance and watchfulness on a third front. Uh, look back at verse 29, if you would, please. He says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You know, Jesus warned of this very same thing in Matthew 7, verse 15. He said, beware of false prophets. This would be the, on the Sermon on the Mount. 
uh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Certainly this means that the sheep must be guarded and protected from men or women who talk or sound like Christians, but they really aren't, right? Uh, they must be guarded from this. Elders must watch out for the people who come into the church speaking twisted or distorted things, seeking to lead Christians away from the true gospel of Christ. And so unless an elder is spiritually alert, thoroughly biblical in their vigilance, what does it say will happen at the end of verse 30? Well, it says the disciples will be drawn away after them. And we need to be guarding against that. And then Paul goes on to, to even further this warning to say that besides fierce wolves coming in from the outside, fierce wolves can arise from within the church, from within even the own group, the, uh, the elders themselves. Men teaching distorted doctrine that can divide and separate people. Uh, and, and cause them to gather and follow a false teacher. We saw that in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm, of, I'm of this person, I'm of that person. So you, you see disunity and disorder which, and dissension which harms the body of Christ. And actually, this very same thing happened in this church in Ephesus a few years after uh, Paul is talking to these uh, Ephes uh, Ephesian elders because we know that from what he writes to Timothy which was a, a letter written a little bit later. So elders must be alert, uh, as Paul says in verse 31, and they must protect the flock, and they must be diligent to follow the example Paul gives of himself in this, in this verse 31, where he calls for being faithful and passionate teachers of God's true word. And they must be able to do what uh, Titus 1.9 says to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now Paul closes these five verses of instruction to these elders with a wonderful word of assurance in verse 32. I think this verse highlights two important concepts. First, Paul says, uh, let me, let me reread that. He says in verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So again, I think this verse does a couple of things. First, the word of God, you see there, is to be central. He says, I commend you to the word of God. And it's central because it is God's grace that grants the believer a share in the heavenly inheritance. But secondly there, he says, first, I commend you to God. I commend you to God. God himself is actually the ultimate watchman and the ultimate protector of the church, is he not? Remember again, elders don't shepherd alone, uh, as, as uh, was mentioned earlier again in Wes's prayer at the end of the book of Hebrews, uh, and I love this, it calls Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. And so uh, that's important for, for elders to think about. Elders don't shepherd, al shepherd alone. And besides that, Jesus promised. He says, I will build my church, and what? The gates of hell won't withstand, won't, uh, stand against it. So this is a, a word of comfort and assurance because certainly church leaders can feel the weight of the task of shepherding at times, and that's, that's something that, that we need to think about. Now let me close uh, this uh, just a little while longer. Uh, I want to close by calling your attention to the main incentive for elders to be faithful and watchful and vigilant. And um, 
uh, in the ways we've discussed today, and, and we find that incentive at the end of verse 28, sort of, so back a few verses to the, to the very beginning of this, these, this five, uh, group of five verses. And so we could ask the question, why are overseers to care for the church of God? Well, in verse 28, he tells us, it's because God obtained it with his own blood. That is incentive enough right there. God obtained it with his own blood. You know, 1 Peter 2 tells us that the church is God's own possession. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are not our own, but we were bought with a price. And that's what Paul is saying here in Acts 20. That price is the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1.7 says the exact same thing. The price of the church's redemption was the blood of Jesus. And so I want to leave us with, with this thought particularly. If the Almighty... Holy God was willing for the blood of his son to be shed for sinful, messed up, unworthy people like me and you, people that he calls his church. Then shouldn't the church's shepherds be willing to give their all in season and out of season for the flock of God? Uh, Ephesians 5.25, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Likewise, elders need to love God's church and be vigilant to lead and feed and nourish and protect. Uh, let me ask Shane and the praise team to come on back up on stage, if you would. And uh, as they do, I want to uh, make, make a one final comment or set of comments. Um, if you're here today and you've never recognized before just how much God loves the church, so much so that he determined to possess it for himself, so much so that he bought it, and redeemed it with the blood of his own son. And I don't think we talk about this next thing so much, but God loved the church so much that he organized. He saw that it was organized and structured in a way with elders and deacons so that there would be serving and leading uh, for the good of the church body. If you've never recognized the great lengths that God has gone to and continues to go to in building his church, and that makes you feel like you want to come, become a part of the church, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, after the service. You know, becoming a part of God's church is what Paul talks about in verse 21 of this same passage. He says it means repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who of course is the only Savior, who's the only way. And his blood is what cleanses us from all sin. If you'd like to talk to us about that, if, if you're feeling if you're thinking about that this morning, if the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart about that this morning, come see us after the service. Talk to Wes, talk to Caleb, talk to myself, Jim. Uh, we, would, we would love to talk to you about that. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you this morning for your love for the church. We praise you this morning, O oh God, for how you have set aside uh, men who would lead and guide as shepherds and men who would serve as deacons. We thank you for uh, your love for the church, not only in providing the blood of Christ to, to buy us as your very own possession, but that you would see fit to structure and organize it for its good and ultimately for your glory. Uh, Father, I pray that this has been instructional for all of us this morning and that we will um, just desire to love and serve you more because of how we see what you've done for the church. Thank you, Father. Let us continue to worship you in song. In Jesus' name, amen.